Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of Say Who, Say Pod. I'm Christian Capel, the University of Washington football writer for The Athletic, joined by Danny O'Neill, who I believe is still in, in lovely New York, but I, I think is is getting on an airplane soon to, to head west for the Washington Huskies' first home game against a ranked Power 5 non-conference opponent in 12 years. What's, what's the itinerary for this weekend? Well, I, I'm going to land... Tomorrow at, at SeaTac at about 3 o'clock, we have uh, Reservations Pioneer Square, which is potentially dangerous. Uh, I'll be leaving at some point on Sunday. I'm still not sure on, on which time. And the Huskies are favored. Like, that's they wild. are. By three and a half points at last at last glance. I'm surprised. Are you surprised they're favored? I was at first. I got a question about this in, in my mailbag today. It, it kind of makes sense to me if you assume that Odds makers um, are maybe still in wait and see mode on Michigan State too, and, and obviously that stuff's more, it's more about perception, right? What do I think the betting public thinks of Correct. of this team? Um, and you know they they beat Western Michigan, didn't look all that great, blew out Akron like like you're supposed to. I, it sounds like their quarterback Peyton Thorne isn't off to like the best start. Their best receiver is banged up. Maybe he'll play. Sounds like. Probably, kind of, who knows? They're sort of secretive about that that sort of thing. It sounds like they got a couple of a key defenders who are hurt. So maybe they know more about those injuries or they're weighing those injuries more heavily and thinking, hmm, a 2-0 team, but we don't really know what they are aside from they went 11-2 and last year, but they're replacing a lot of guys. They're going west. They don't play out there a lot. They don't win out there a lot. Washington looks definitely better than last year. Uh, home team by three points. You know, I, I, I could kind of see how they get there, but it is it is a little surprising. It's like this is the 11th ranked team in the country against a team that did not receive a single vote in any poll this week, and and here they are a, a home favorite. And was four and eight last year. Yeah, was four yeah. and eight. I think I've been saying, and maybe it's this is too black and white. I've been saying that they proved nothing against Kent State and Portland State. But maybe that's not true. Maybe they did prove that they're not as bad as they were last year because does anyone think they would have beat anybody? They would have looked this way against anybody last year that they have in these first two games. Offensively, they wouldn't have at all. I I do think that there's – I mean, for me, the big question is how are they going to fare against a competent run game? Like I I think think that's that's something we don't know about about what – what their run defense really is going to look like against a team that can run the ball. And granted, Michigan State doesn't have its top running back from last year. But I, I, think, there's a, I think there's a fair amount of evidence that, that Mel Tucker knows what he's doing in general, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody thinks he's clueless. I'm not sure if he's as good as Michigan State is paying him to be. And, and a lot of that, I think, comes from the perception of recruiting. But this is it's a, it's, it's not as big a challenge as Michigan last year and it's clearly different because it's at home as opposed to on the road but yeah this is this is this is not one i'm anxious about this as opposed to excited it's um it's it's really it's a huge game right like i it's it's the kind of game that if you lose the coaching staff could get up after the game and say oh this is really disappointing we wanted a better result but our goal is to win a conference championship, and this has no bearing on that. Everything's still in front of us, blah, 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 and that would all be true. But in college football, optics are really important, and perception is really important. And that stuff, 
you, you live day by day with that stuff as it, as it pertains to recruiting and all sorts of things. And this is a chance. I mean, if they win this game, they will be ranked, period. They will jump into the top 25. And they will know that they're the kind of team that is capable of beating a, a quality Power 5 opponent that has really high expectations for itself and had a really good year last year in the conference that everybody's trying to get into now. So, you know, I, I think it's it's uh it's a really good challenge for them because like I said, this is it's not a super established power. It's not a team that, you know, people are, are predicting to go to the playoff or anything like that, but it's a team that was in the playoff race last year, um, that has invested heavily in football that emphasizes recruiting to a greater degree than a lot of programs and that, that has high expectations and that probably doesn't see last year as a, a fluke or an overachievement or anything like that and, and wants to build on it. And so I, you, you win and you put a bunch of people in the stadium and I want to talk about that a little bit later and you put a great atmosphere on television and you match that with a really good product and a victory. Suddenly you're three and Oh, with Stanford coming in next week for your Pac-12 opener, I mean, you, you, Washington would be a double-digit favorite over them if they win this game, right? They might be anyway, based on what we saw uh, of Stanford against USC. And, you know, you're talking about a, a, a pretty realistic shot to go 4-0 and heading into a really big game at, at UCLA, and, and then everything's on the table. It's hard for me to see this Washington team winning the division and playing for a conference title if they don't win this game. And that's not to say that like there's any clearly this result doesn't have any outcome on how they'll stand. But if you're a team that's good enough to win your division, I, I think this is a game you win. I, I, I think that this is that you're at home against a Michigan State team whose quarterback hasn't been all that impressive and is so far hasn't shown itself to be as good as it was last year. If if you're going to be good enough to be to, to win the division, you, you win this game at home. And I'm not going to sort of say or write off any of the the ambitions or say that hey that Washington was over they've given themselves a chance to matter but if they're going to matter they need to win this game like that that's a, a team a team that's capable of doing that wins this game yeah I agree and especially because you know this is the only big 10 team they're going to play all year it's the only other power conference team they're going to play outside of the Pac-12 and as we've seen like when Pac-12 teams don't win those games there's nothing they can do in conference to make up for it and change people's minds, right? Like if Utah runs the table, there's going to be a portion, you know, unless unless Florida wins out, they they turned right around and lost to Kentucky last week. There's going to be a portion of people who say, "Well, who cares? That's the Pac-12. We saw what happened when they went and played at, you know, not even an upper tier SEC team in week 1, they couldn't even beat them. So, why should we put any stock in what they did during during the conference schedule?" So, I think you're totally right that like from a perception standpoint, but like, I, I don't know what if Michigan state is better than every team in the PAC 12, except like maybe USC and Utah and they play them close and tough and it's tight. Does that, you know, are you still, are, are you still walking away thinking like, this is not a team that could get into those, those top two spots in the conference. It's hard for me to believe that a Washington, as good as Washington's looked on offense against two teams that they should have beaten. If you then at home, lose to to Michigan State and 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 it's possible that the Spartans that Sparty's that good. I just think like man this is if you're going if you're going to be a team that can seriously win the division, you win this game. 
otherwise, like we'll still go through all the exercises and a week from now we'll be talking about how that, that was a learning process and all. But if, if you're a team that's, that's, if they, if they win this game, I'll say like, okay, this is going to be one of the one or two. Like, I think that they're going to be at the top of the conversation for, for winning the division along with Oregon and Utah. And I see, I see them as having a very valid shot. If they lose this game, I'll say that I think they're going to get to a bowl game this year, but I don't expect it to be a good bowl game. And I don't think they're going to play for, for the conference title. And by the way, that's not terrible news. And that's not any sort of bad sign. Like so far, this offense looks really competent. It looks, it looks really good. And that's, that's a huge step forward. But if if this is a season to decide, like, okay, how quickly are they going to get back to contention? This is a measuring stick in that regard. Because if they don't win this game, like, I don't expect them to be a serious contender for the division. When was the last time you were at Husky Stadium and looked around and thought, yeah, this this is it. This atmosphere, this crowd, like, man, this this place is, is rocking tonight. Well... My timeline gets a little screwed up because it gets jumbled together with Seahawks games and and then and then moving. So clearly a high water mark was that Friday night game against Stanford in and that's the year they go to the Peach Bowl. So that's 2016, correct? Mm-hmm. And then you have the USC game, which was at night later that season that they ended up losing. That was a huge disappointment. And and kind of from there, like what are the what are the high water marks the next season? Because 2017, that is that the year they start out at Auburn. Uh, that was 2018. Okay, so uh, was seven... there was there a, a a landslide victory in 2017? Like a moment, a a a, a defining moment, and because it's possible that there is. I go, I go back to that 2000. 16 game against Stanford is like okay it, it it's back like that's 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 Husky Stadium as intimidating as it can and should be yeah I mean that's definitely the modern standard and like you heard Chris Peterson of all people who I think sometimes would prefer to play in the Dempsey indoor with nobody watching talk about how like how I mean he, he would reference that years later you know that was like a a seminal moment for for that era of Husky football. You know, that was the the modern equivalent of all I saw was purple, right? Where big time top 10 opponent on a Friday night, Stanford had kind of run the division for years and they took it to him in very Stanford like fashion in front of a you know, huge crowd and they stormed the field. And um, there really hasn't been anything close to that since. Cause like, yeah, 2017 they played at Rutgers and then had like Fresno state and, and another gimme at yeah, home. there's a big win at Cal and then a home game against Oregon. And and I would say that And Oregon was bad. Yeah, Oregon was bad. That was yeah, they they had some issues at quarterback and it was it was relatively close at halftime actually. <laughs> what was the halftime score? Uh, I'll I'll have to look back. I was going to tell you. So there's uh I do remember that game specifically because That was uh Dante Pettis uh set the uh the punt return touchdown That's record. Correct. So Oregon led 3 nothing. And then Washington scored and, and led 17-3 at halftime. There was an individual sitting behind me who was uh, wearing all duck paraphernalia. And if I remember correctly, it was the the uh, the, the Daffy Duck logo on most of his. Like he went he went old school, like 1994 style nice. motif. Um, and he was rambunctious. Like I'll give him credit for that. But as 
as Washington was running out onto the field, he started cursing about Jake Browning. And that was where I turned around to him and I was like, okay, we're not going to do that. Like that's, that's, that's not, you're not going to curse at a college kid in his own stadium. Like that's, you're, you're free. Like I'm not one of those Husky fans who's like, you can't cheer for your team, but, but we're not doing that. So he was already put on alert and, and then his wife started getting very nervous because when he would get mad, she would kind of like hit him to tell him to be quiet because they clearly like were, were, uh. They, 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 they were not. She did not want to see a confrontation with her, with, with her, with other Husky fans there. And then, as he came back from, uh, from halftime, his anger was trained at the Ducks coaches, <laughs> which, a- which was really enjoyable. Like he was furious about some of the things that the Ducks coaches were doing, and then. <laughs> girl that was with him she kind of like he started cursing about that and she goes she goes you need to lock it up (laughs) we talked about this and then once that happened it was a wrap because anytime he opened his mouth for the next five minutes or so i just turned around and said you need to lock it up you've already been told like you need to be quiet And then poof, vamoose, oh, they were gone. That's ga- it's game like, over from they there. They did not even make it. Like, she had no idea what she did to that poor guy right there. Because as soon as I heard her tell him, lock it up, I was like, oh, that's a wrap. This guy's gone. He's out of here. <laughs> Please don't do this again. <laughs> I wondered. Like, do you think they moved to another part of the stadium to watch it? Like, was it a me issue? Or she was like, all right, you can't be trusted around people anymore. <laughs> That was one of a handful of Oregon games that year that Justin Herbert missed due to injury, and I like, I remember with that. I mean, with him, I think they went they went seven and five that year, and like with him, they were pretty good. I think they had a couple of good wins when he was healthy, and like it was just they were two completely different teams with and without Justin Herbert, as those familiar with Justin Herbert might understand a college team would be. Um, but in in that game, I just, it was like they weren't. It was like they just knew like. All right, we don't have our we don't have our guy. We don't have our starting quarterback. We're just going to run into the line three times and punt and get out of here. And, and so started a quarterback that game for Oregon. Oh, there's no reason for you to. Zero. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been Burmeister. It was. It was Brandon was it? Burmeister. <laughs> and he's still playing, isn't he? San Diego State. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's still playing or not. But <laughs> so was he? Would have been a true freshman. Yeah. Yeah, they threw him out there to the wolves. That was and that was that was Willie Taggart's year, right? Like that was that was Willie was the was the guy that was in charge, and I I think he kind of was like, well, let's see if he's got anything, and just threw him to the wolves. Like it wasn't. There are times where you see a quarterback who's thrown into a oh, situation that they're just not ready for, and like that—that yeah. that was one of those times where you're like, "Oh man, this isn't this isn't his fault. He's not playing poorly. He's he's just simply not ready to play at this level, like not, not against this defense, not in this stadium. Like they they should have the Oregon's coaches should have known it was a wrap. They would have been better off direct snapping to Royce Freeman every single time. Like that would have been a better a better chance at victory than what they ended up doing. So you said you said Brandon Burmeister, and I didn't even question it. I it, it's Braxton Burmeister, but <laughs> was, but was there's the kid that, from Mercer Island that played hoops at UW. There's never a bad time to provide an homage to the the one of the greatest walk-ons of the Lorenzo Romar era, Brandon Burmeister. Legitimately, if that pl- kid would have wanted to play football, he could have made money doing that. I covered him in high school, and I don't I don't think he ever really had the 
the desire to play to play football. I know his dad a little bit. Um, if if Brandon Burmeister had really like, I think he would have been a hell of a tight end if he had really wanted to do that. But that's playing tight end is especially at UW is like that requires like you're going to have to put on forty pounds and it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Like and and I I think he did, but he was he was he was a good he was a good hoops player. He played. Yeah, he played. He, he played legit minutes and like you know actual games and stuff. Um, I the you mentioned the Oregon game. I remember so because of of how just non functional they were on offense. I remember that they were only it was seventeen to three at halftime, which by no means playing the Oregon Ducks should you ever think that you've got the game you know that that, that any any team's got it sealed at that point. But I did, I remember watching that and thinking like. I don't know how long they would have to play for Oregon to score a touchdown <laughs> because they just, it, it, it was, it was as if they were conceding offensively. Like, well, we, we don't have Justin Herbert, so let's just, let's just not get anybody hurt and let's go home. Yeah. It was that kind of, it was that kind of game. So, but I, so were you, you were at that game. I do you remember that. it? Do you remember it being like a great atmosphere? I remember how much fun it was to finally beat Oregon. Like I, I, I definitely remember that. And I remember shaming, shaming the guy behind us. I was going to say kid, but he wasn't a kid. Like he was definitely in his thirties. I remember, I remember, I remember him and feeling quite pleased about that, that he, he kind of came loaded for bear and had no idea like how to actually execute on his plan and just caved the minute that there was confrontation. Um, but I don't, I don't remember it being that overwhelming wall of sound. Like there's only a few games that I've been at that I would categorize as that way. The 2000 game against Miami was that way. That Friday night game against against Stanford was was that way. I wasn't at the the game where Washington upset USC. Was that Sark's first year? It was 2009, yeah. When when that game happened, I wasn't at that game. I was I was I was in in California. I just watched that. That could have been pretty raucous, but you're coming off a winless season, so you probably <laughs> I, I you've got to for Husky Stadium to be really intimidating. You need that sort of okay. This is a dominant team feeling. Like it's it's hard to get that when you get the the win that sort of puts you over the hump. And I would say that that's probably, I think a lot of fans this weekend are going to be in that wait and see mode of like, we hope that Washington's back. But when, when Husky stadium is really intimidating, it's that feeling of like, we know, we know Washington's back. Like there's all right, we, we got something for these guys here. And I, I, I don't want to speak for other people, but my feeling is like, I hope Washington has something for them. And I think they've got a shot, but I'm I'm not sh- I'm not sure what they're going to do when they come up against an actual like competent power 5 team which I firmly believe that Michigan State is. You mentioned the the run defense. Um is that is, is that your biggest concern yeah. that that Jalen Berger and and Jarek Broussard are just going to run all over him? Yeah. And that because it sure seemed and it's hard to read too much into the the second half results against Kent State because it it seemed like Kent State kind of decided like okay we're gonna we're gonna stop trying to to play fast and score we're gonna we're gonna get out of here, but it sure seemed that when they settled down and, and wanted to run the ball that they were effective doing that and that sort of caused an arched eyebrow of suspicion where I'm like ooh now maybe that's just garbage time and maybe that Washington was content and looking at like they're never gonna catch up to us by running the football like they're we're, we're gonna and and they're right about that. 
but it sure seemed like Kent State was able to control the ball a lot more than I would have expected given the kind of offense that Kent State runs. So through two games against Kent State and Portland State, Washington is fourth in the country in pass efficiency defense and third in the country in completion percentage against, and yet I continue to believe uh, that their secondary is the biggest question mark on the team right now. Um, and I say that, you look, again, it, it feels silly. You look at the numbers against Portland State. I think Portland State was like 7 of 20 for 50 yards with a long of 13. And so you look at that and just think, oh, yeah, man, they just completely dominated. They, they were, this was this is two different levels of opponents. They didn't have a chance. But you saw a corner get beat on a deep pass into the end zone that should have been a touchdown that mm-hmm. was dropped. You saw another another deep throw where a guy, uh, I think, probably just took a bad path to the ball. Should have should have had a a catch down on the uh, on the closed end of this st- or on the the open end of the stadium. I forget what part of the game that was, but it fell incomplete. That one should have been caught. They kind of lost. You know, another example of them sort of losing a guy deep. The trick play receiver pass completely fooled them. Was executed perfectly, aside from the the illegal motion that. Uh, that nullified it. Am I am I crazy, Danny, for thinking that we saw some things in that game, despite the numbers that that indicate that it's it's still very much TBD. Whether this is going to be a secondary that can hold up against really good passing offenses? No, I think it's totally legit. Especially is Perryman going to play this week? Like I saw him walking around there, so my fear that it was a some sort of Achilles injury, and they just weren't going to say that it was season ending, even when it was season ending, like that. He, he's he, he was not hobbled that way, so that's that's a good sign. We, we think Perryman's going to play this week. They're talking like he's going to play. They say the plan is for him to play. And when we went out to practice for interview availability on Tuesday, you know, we we walk out there from the tunnel as they're like wrapping up, and he he was in full uniform and, and appeared to have practiced that day. So how about Roma Dunze? He's he's full go. He's I think full go. Roma, Roma Dunze would have played last week against any other team in the world, probably. Um, but it was like a nagging thing. And I, I, I very much got the sense that was a load management decision and, and not a, this guy's hurt. I mean, he suited up and he wore his helmet and I mean, DeBoer said he would have been available in an emergency and every, every indication is that there's, there's no reason to think he won't play this week. It kind of seems like DeBoer is not super sneaky about these things. Like it seems like, and I always hate to, because Sometimes you have to wonder with coaches, like, okay, how 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 tricky is he when it comes to its injuries? Like, it honestly seems, and you kind of even said this a couple weeks ago, DeBoer seems fairly straightforward about it. Yeah, he's he's not as forthcoming as a coach could be. Like, he's not Mike Riley at Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, he's he's never going to tell you what what's injured, what's hurt, what the injury is if if you if you didn't see it. But so far, I mean, I. I don't know. Like I, I think the way that they talk about injuries combined with you know our ability to interpret it, having you know being around them regularly and and sort of having a little bit of a body of evidence to work with, like the way they talk about Romo Dunze is very different than the way they talk about Jackson Kirkland. Mm-hmm. You know, like the way they talk about Jackson Kirkland, I'm still, I'm I think it's it's very much up in the air whether he's going to play or not. Now they've said that's the the plan is for him to play. Um, and I think he had to sit out that first week and then it's like, well, now it's Portland state. Do you really want, you know, 
a guy who's who's racing against the clock to get back healthy enough to play do you really want him to debut against Portland State is there any reason to even try to do that so I get why he would he, he wouldn't have played last week under any circumstance but it's maybe it's it's the case that they've had this game circled you know for for his his return but the way that they talk about him is a lot different than you know with Odunze it's just like oh yeah he's he's good to go full go no concerns um with, with Jackson Kirkland there's still some some question I think did you hear how mad my dog got when you insinuated that Jackson Kirkland might not play? Yeah, it, He's that was up. he was he was mad. Yeah, he was he was definitely mad. He was what? definitely angry about that. So they can take that into account. Going back to your point about the the secondary, no, I think that that's I think it's very fair. Like, and there's such an elevated expectation of how corners can play and will play at Washington because of the sheer number and, and amount of NFL talent that they've had at that position over the past five, six years. Like it, it certainly creates, I, I, I definitely think you're right. And it certainly looks like the scheme that they're playing puts an awful lot, like they're going to dare some teams to throw it over the top of them and, and sort of say like, okay, if, if you can, if you can win that matchup and execute, we'll tip our cap to you, but we're, we're going to, we're, we're still going to bring pressure. It, it'll be interesting to see if they're, as aggressive and as willing to leave the corners on an island against against Michigan State, but I would say that everything you've seen from the Spartans so far and from Washington would lead you to think that yeah they they are and Washington's they're willing to play they're willing to play it a little bit dangerous when it comes to that and you pointed out the number of near misses that they've had and I think I think that that there might be a willingness to take those sort of gambles and say like yeah it's it's hard for other. Any time a guy runs free behind you doesn't mean it's going to be an automatic touchdown because this is college football and they've still got to throw it and catch it and that's not always going to happen. Feels like they've got to dedicate quite a few bodies to to the box this week, right? I mean, more to your point about the run defense. So, like, I just I wonder, I wonder how willing they're going to be. And you know, you got sub packages for a reason, right? You play it by down and distance. But I just wonder how willing they're going to be to dedicate extra guys to coverage or or drop you know, roll with six DBs or, or, or do some of the things that you got accustomed to seeing under the, the previous coaching staff to, to try to slow down a team that, that throws the ball. But when you've got two good running backs, like they do, I think you're, I mean, I, I just think Washington's going to be who it is, right. They're going to continue to play closer to the line of scrimmage and um, use their safeties in the run game and, and all those sort of things. And yeah, I think that's what you've got to stop first, especially with, Maybe how shaky uh, Michigan State's quarterback has been, at least so far this year. I just think, man, they've got a lot of talent at receiver. I know that Jaden Reed, their best receiver, he's he's banged up a little bit, and you know, I, we'll see if he plays. I think Washington probably is planning as if he will, but I mean, Jeremy Bernard, who uh, the Huskies signed, even though there was a coaching change, but but once Junior Adams left, it, that was that was a bridge too far, and um, they actually I think literally had him on campus. Uh, and and he, he got out of his letter and, and wound up at Michigan State. And he's got a few catches and a touchdown in his first two games. So he's probably going to be an impact guy as a freshman. And got a couple other guys back who put up, you know, a few hundred, 500 yards last year. I just mean it, the the receivers they're going to face on Saturday are so much better than anything they've seen so far. I just don't know if you can count on um, – you can count on a lot of mistakes, you know, or like, hey, if if you're not if you're not tight, if you're not assignment sound, if you are letting guys run behind you, I don't know how many of those they're going to get away with against a team like this. Yeah, 
I think that's a very fair point. That's part of the, the, the calculus that they're going to have to make because if you can't stop the run, I don't think you have any choice but to take those risks because it's you, you have to be able to stop the run uh, against against Michigan, against any Big Ten team. If you if you can't stop the run, like you're just going to get hammered into submission. And the, the second part of that is if if you do need to bring up an extra body to stop the run, you're going to leave those corners exposed. And I think there's a lot of questions fair that are very evident and have not been answered so far in the first two. If anything, it's like, yeah, there's a possibility that that is. I don't think their corners are as good as last year. I don't think anybody should have expected them to be, but I don't, it's, it's the drop off, the drop off between what they had last year and what they have now is more significant than it's been in recent years when they've lost corners to the NFL. Not to keep harping on the attendance thing, but, uh, does it does it bother you at all that the st- they're not at a place where the stadium is full against Kent State and Portland State, or are you are you looking more to like a game like this weekend to see okay, what is wh- what do people do? What's the turnout look like when it is a big time game, a legit opponent? There's probably some you know quite a few more visiting team fans that are going to travel and and all those sort of things. Yeah, I I do hope it's it's more full. Here's the. People will tend to question the fan base, right? Like, that's the, why Why aren't there more fans there? I don't have that question because I really believe, and especially at Washington over the past 10 years, the number of night games that have been played and the variability of the schedule within the Pac-12, like, the complaints about attendance, some of it needs to be directed at that. Like, some, some, some of that, like, the, the, the reality of that, like, yeah, I do, I do wish that the attendance was better. But they haven't prioritized that. Like it's very clear they haven't prioritized that as a conference, and that's because everything revolves around TV now. And to sit and, there and say, and I just I get tired of of sort of the, the the dialogue as if it's some big mystery why the, there are more attendance challenges or you don't see things as full. As I was like, well, you know what it might have to do with is that you have to wait. We. Fans have gotten accustomed to having to wait until six days before the game to find out whether or not it's going to be at 7.30, and that's a huge difference. So do I worry about it? I feel like that's a decision. Like, that's chickens coming home to roost. It's a sort of way of, like, you've made your bed. Like, you've you've decided, not necessarily as an athletic department, but as a conference, that, that you are going to cater to the networks, and you think that that's a better that's a better approach and you might be right because there might be more money in that but the sort of question of like why aren't there why aren't there more fans that are out there and when that can be directed at fans i think i think it's obnoxious like i it 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 annoys the hell out of me when people do that you asked me a few weeks ago if i thought that the the proliferation of college football on tv has has benefited the viewer Mm -hmm. kind of along those lines do you think that it has it has surpassed the in-game the the in-stadium experience? You I mean you must you must not. You still buy tickets and go to the games and you you travel a long distance to do it. Not all of them, but yeah. even even a couple that's a that's a pretty big commitment. But what what is it about the in-stadium experience that that keeps you coming back that makes it worth it for you to to make that investment? I love Seattle in September. And for me, the emotional notes that are hit by going to watch a game in September when the weather's probably going to be fantastic and sort of for, 
the memories it stirs for me of what it was like to go and and show up on campus sort of the middle of September each year and maybe the first game you go to is before the school year actually starts like all of those things this weekend I'm going to see one guy that I lived with for all four years of college another guy that that I roomed with for three years and then a, a third friend who's one of one of the closest guys I also lived with him for a year in different in different configurations so so for me that that's what the experience is and what that stadium feels like and sounds like. Um, that's what matters to me. And in, in the same way that I don't, I don't really care about the college football playoff. Like I watch those games and, and I enjoy them. And when Washington went to the peach bowl, I went to Atlanta and I, I thought I was going to complain about not going to the Rose bowl when they won the conference. I didn't, I liked going and seeing them play Alabama and I thought they acquitted themselves pretty well. Like I, I, they, they deserve, they deserve to be in that game. They, they weren't blown out. They didn't have the offensive horsepower to be able to beat that defense that Alabama had, but they, they deserve to be in that game. Um, but for me, like this, the, the pecking order and like, how do you schedule to get into the national championship? Like all of those things, that's not my experience as a fan. I want Washington each year to in their three non-conference games play one cupcake, play one, I would say, like, rank and file from a good conference or good team from a, from a, a lesser, a non-Power 5 conference, and then play a marquee opponent. And they're pretty close to that. Like, I don't know if Kent State quite fits that, like, B-tier program. But, but Michigan State, like, that's the kind of team I want to see them play. And... I don't I don't care about how that sets them up for for bowl positioning or their 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 playoff ranking or any of those things. I want to see them play a good team. I I, I, I want to see them play a good team. I hate the fact that they schedule against the is it the I always get it screwed up. Is it the the football playoff series like the the F, the FCS the FCS? I hate the fact that they schedule what we used to call Division One AA opponents. For a long time, Washington didn't, and it was one of the only programs that never did. I, I don't like the fact that they do that. I wish that they didn't. Um, but so, so I that's that's what's important to me. I get that the that the school and the athletic department, and to a greater extent, the conference have made the decision of okay, TV is more important because the program gets exposure. The things the the, the players that we want to come here need to see us on TV. The revenue that you get from that is outsized. And man, if it costs us a little bit in in in-house revenue, like we'll make that up if we're really good, because if we're really good, they'll come no matter what. I'm not saying that's the wrong decision for them to make, but it's a decision I don't care about. Like I, I, I don't, none of that really moves the needle with me because I think you end up chasing the wrong things. So this weekend, Nebraska is going to be playing Oklahoma, and they got it. They 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 fired Scott Frost because they're one and two and they're terrible, and that's hilarious. But Nebraska is the example of didn't they make all the decisions that people are encouraging programs to make right now? Like they got out of the the conference that they were a geographic fit with, with all of the other sort of farm kid area schools, and 
hightailed it to the Big Ten with its bigger academic prestige. And it's the Big Ten's the richest conference. I mean, it's the SEC might be the best conference in football, but the Big Ten's the richer conference. Where's Nebraska at now? Like Oklahoma, Nebraska used to be a huge game. Like in the 1980s, that was that was one of the games that you circled every single year, and it would happen later in the year, and it would probably determine which of those two schools played for a national championship, probably in the Orange Bowl. And where are they at now? So they're puking. I, I yeah, they are. They're they're having their vomits counted by a coach who's already been fired. <laughs> so I, I mean, I I get where you're like. What do I think of the decision? I think you end up chasing the wrong things. And and so when people that are affiliated with the athletic department now, and it, it's subtle, but it happens, sort of exert this shade of like, why don't we have a more devoted fan base? Why aren't we selling more tickets? God, we need it to get louder in here. Are you going this weekend? Like those sort of things. That part makes me really mad because I'm like, no, no, no. Like, oh, take some accountability for some of the decisions that you've made and you've made as part of this conference over prioritizing TV and TV revenue. Don't don't turn it around and say, like, wow, we don't really have many people. No crap you don't have any, many people because you played at 730 against Kent State in your in your, your regular season opener. Like, that. that's what happened. And then Portland State came in here. And you went 4-8 and eight last year with a dimwit coach. Like, all of those sort of things, like, make me, it's like, show some accountability. Sit there, like, this is, this is something that you had a hand in. You're not some passive victim in, the, in, in the, the apathy that you perceive among the fan base. There's so many layers to this, because, like, you mentioned, and you're totally right, and I've, all, I've always said this, that this is what you get when you, you sell out to the TV networks, right? Like, and... When they sign, you know, when you sign a twelve-year, three billion-dollar deal for your tier one rights, which at the time was record-setting and very much celebrated, and I mean, shoot, that was so long ago, Danny, that people thought Larry Scott was really good at his job. You know, consider that crazy. Uh, you, you're just you're going to sacrifice some of the the in-game experience as far as kickoff times, right? Mm-hmm. And not knowing when the games are going to kick off until 12 days before and all these sort of things. And I don't think anybody would say part of the reason you want to fill the stadium is, is obviously for like we talked about optics and perception and giving, giving the, the, the kids you recruited the experience that you promised them. Right. And creating lifelong memories for your fan base who grow up and turn into donors and making you know, making the student experience better. I mean, how, how many kids are there who could go to this college or this college or this college, but they choose the one that has a power five football team, right? Because that's just, that's something that they want to be a part of their college experience, all those sort of things. Right. But it's also really important to balancing the books because it's your one revenue, one of your very few revenue streams that you have control over, but no athletic department would say, well, let's just let's go back to the way it was with TV. Let's return these literally like tens of millions of TV dollars in the pursuit of like a couple stray million in in ticket revenue, right? Like you you're you're taking you went with the option that's going to generate more money and but now you want to have your cake and eat it too, right? You 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 wonder why people don't come to games and like you said maybe there's a, a hint of a frustration there that well at Auburn at Michigan at Ohio State at Nebraska at places where they might 
you might have a stadium full of people who want the coach fired, but they're still there, right? They still go. And like I, I talked about this with with Softy last year after the Michigan game, right? You go to you you go to Michigan and they had the season they had and maybe quelled some of those doubts, but they hadn't won a Big Ten title in like seventeen years, and there were surely a lot of people in that stadium who would not have been upset if if they'd moved on from Jim Harbaugh before the year, right? But it was still full and they still showed up. And so I think Washington is wondering like, well, what do they have to do to get to that point, right? To get to get to the level where it's not about the record, it's not about the opponent necessarily. You're always going to have more fans in this in the stadium for Michigan State than you will for Portland State, mm-hmm. right? But it's about narrowing that gap and making it so that every game is worth going to, or at least every game is worth purchasing tickets to. If they don't show up, eh, you don't love that, but you got the revenue, you you, you settle for that on some level. And I, I just I don't know if in the modern college football climate, with Washington where it is as a program, I I just don't know if it's possible for them to move into that echelon of teams that are gonna fill the stadium no matter what that just have a fan base that is so passionate and so hungry for the in-stadium experience that they're, they're going to come to every game regardless of all of the different variables around the program year to year. And maybe that, that maybe that was, was always the case. Um, But in the nineties when they were really good Mm -hmm. and that, that era that, the department now looks back on and says, geez, look at, look at the season ticket base back then. How do we ever get back to that? Maybe in this era where the NFL is King and the Seahawks are the big draw and there's a waiting list for Seahawks season tickets. And they're the, the actual, the actual pro team in Seattle, as opposed to UW being the de facto pro team in Seattle. Maybe you just aren't ever going to get back to that. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that Christian. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and and that's certainly possible. And there's more competition for, for dollars. You now have an NHL team. There's rumors about the NBA coming back in the, in the very near future and maybe even an announcement this year. And there, there's more competition for sort of sports patronage. But, but C- Seattle's a big metropolitan area. And, okay, so it's got some wannabe European soccer e- e- evangelistas that are out there. The... the, the, the there, there's. I don't know if the the tech employees that have sort of changed the shape of what Seattle is are going to end up being college football fans in the same way other parts. Of yeah, I've I've thought that a lot. But, and, and that's that's possible. The other thing though is you look back at the '90s and one of the criticisms of Washington was that it let it let its fan base get very old, like that 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 it didn't it wasn't able to sort of sort of replenish and and turn over. And there might be some truth to that. But this is the 30-year anniversary, right, of the Nebraska game, the the 1992 Nebraska game that was one of these big – I saw Mike Varell had a story about, like, how loud that was. That was that school's – that was Washington's first night game since, like, 1985. Mm-hmm. They never played at night. And the schedule was predictable. And you Back then it was cool, right? Yeah, it was. It was novel. They had to, they had to bring in lights – I mean, that was the, 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 the things that they did. You cannot convince me that the schedule and how they arranged the schedule and the logistics by which the schedule was announced don't play a factor in it. One of the guys that's going to the game this weekend with me, that was one of my college roommates, he lives in Phoenix, and he's lived down there for 15 years probably, maybe even more. It's maybe getting close to 20. 
And he would come up regularly for three or four games a year. And he would often, like, there were times he would fly up the same day of the game. Like, he didn't go to any games last year. And he's gone significantly less frequently, in large part because you can't predict when the games are going to be. In fact, like, I know this, it is is generally, homecoming doesn't mean anything to me. At all, like I don't, I don't ever really care or notice when the homecoming game is, and maybe some Husky fans do. I don't. My friend does because he explained to me that it's actually more logistically difficult for them to move the homecoming game because of the specifics of the TV arrangements. Like it's less likely for that game to get moved outside of the the afternoon kickoff, and like he knows that because it's so frustrating to him. You can't, you can't tell me that the schedule and what they've done with the schedule doesn't play. A, a part in this. I want to read a, a series of a, a tweet exchanges, first of all, because it demonstrates that I do actually occasionally have some restraint. But more, <laughs> it gets to, it gets to, so Tony Castricone, this is September 2019. So this is, that's COVID year, right? Tony Castricone, podcast listener. It, good. I'm glad, I'm glad he does. Maybe you'll get mad about this. This weekend's CFB, no, I'm sorry, this is not, this is the year before COVID. This weekend's college football TV ratings. Even though nobody likes the idea of participating in a 9 a.m. kickoff, me included, this is why I at least appreciate the creativity of the idea. An awful Northwestern Michigan State game at noon Eastern still had more viewers than SC Utah or UCLA Wazoo. And then he's got the week four TV ratings to show that the TV ratings for that that 9 a.m. Pacific window were higher than what were pretty good conference matchups in the Pac-12. My response, the problem with this thinking is that it completely negates the value of the people who are, you know, actually going to attend the game. Call me old-fashioned, but that matters more to me than how many people in the Midwest watch Pac-12 football. And, like, that's as, as clearly as I can put it. I really don't give a rip how many people in Michigan or Nebraska or the Midwest or even the East Coast watch Washington football. And moving a, a, a Pac-12 game to a different time slot, to that 9 a.m. Pacific time slot, might get you more of those viewers. And that might end up getting you more dollars because TV rules everything. I, I don't – I think that comes at the expense of your actual in-game crowd. And if you're going to prioritize that, don't do those sort of things. If you're not going to prioritize that, then don't complain about the attendance. Right? Like that, that's, that's my general thing. Don't do things that detract – from the actual in-stadium experience, and then throw your arms up, like what, why it wasn't attended. This is, this is Tony's response. I hear you. Attendance matters. So does TV exposure. It's not an either-or scenario. Both are vitally important. Totally fair. By the way, tickets are still available for this weekend's noon game between ranked teams with a college football blue blood in town. Hope to see you there! Exclamation point. I'm living in New York at that point, and I was actually flying across the country to go see that game. That's an infuriating response. Like, to say that of this little smarm, well, are you going to be in town for this game? Are you going to be there for this game? Is so infuriating because I'm like, oh, okay. Like, what what do you want me to say? That I don't have the right to criticize them, not unless I'm going to be there, which, by the way, I am. And it's that little subtle, like, oh, why aren't you showing up for a college football blue blood? And that that attitude enrages me. I hear you. <laughs> Don't you dare, Christian. I will go ham on you. 
<laughs> that's hey, that's fine. We need to get the ratings up. Um, yeah, ratings I, rule r- drive everything, man. Maybe get the nine a.m. Pacific slot. We'll get really rolling here. I I'll say this: if if I didn't, if I were not receiving a paycheck to write about it, I would never go to a a spring game, for example. Okay, and there are stadiums across the country that either come close to selling out or have crowds in the tens of thousands for, for those games, including Oregon, by the way. Um, if I, if I were not a college football reporter covering the university of Washington, I, I can't say I would ever pay money to watch them play Portland state. Okay. Um, so I just, just to, just to position myself on that spectrum for you a little bit, mm-hmm. but problem and the challenge that Washington is facing is that it, it can regularly lead the Pac-12 in home attendance when USC is down and mm-hmm. you know there's some other factors in there but it can regularly lead the Pac-12 in home attendance but still have like you said um, and for reasons that I myself personally also find valid uh, it's a one o'clock kickoff well I got I got kids playing soccer. I got kids playing youth football. I'm not going to, you know, I got to go to their game. Oh, it's a night game. Well, I got small kids at home. You know, I can't take them. I, I'm going to stay home and watch on TV. Oh, it's going to be 85 degrees. No, I don't, I don't want to go. Are you kidding me? I'm going to go sit in the sun. My seats aren't in the shade. I'm going to go sit in the sun on metal bleachers when it's 85 degrees out to watch Portland State. No. And it's, what's the air quality index? Almost 200, almost too unhealthy to be outside and play a sport. I'm not going to go sit outside and breathe. What to watch them beat Portland State fifty-two to six? No way. There are stadiums across the country and fan bases across the country where none of that matters. Mm-hmm. They're rolling into town on Thursday in their RVs and they're partying for two days straight. And it doesn't matter when the game kicks off. It doesn't matter how hot it is because it's always hot, right? In Alabama, in, in in everywhere throughout the SEC, how what was the temperature at at the Texas Alabama? Now, if Alabama was at Husky Stadium, I don't think the temperature would be keeping people away. But you get what I'm saying. These are all factors that are legit. That even I personally, they would keep me away. It's funny we spent so much time talking about that 2017 Oregon game. I was out of the business at that time, and my and and didn't have didn't have our daughter yet. You know, it's my wife and I live in the the no kids life. My dad called me, I think, the, that week sometime, the day before, a couple of days before, and said, hey, would you have any interest in going to the Oregon game? And I was like, it's a 730 kick. You know, it's it's I live in Tacoma and I drive up there, pay for parking. And it, Oregon's not not even not even any good. I don't think it's going to be a very good game. Justin Herbert's hurt. And nah, I'm, I'm just going to watch it on TV. Now, if Oregon were a top 10 team, as it as it often is. That, that probably would have been enough on its own, right? If it had been a 1 p.m. kickoff, that would have been enough on its own to change my mind a little bit. It's the same way, and like I've written about this before, my my dad was a season ticket holder for 30-plus years, had tickets in the first year after the renovation in 2013, and then canceled them. And it was, you know, the team hadn't been great. They'd recovered from the Tyrone Willingham era, but they, they weren't at a conference championship contender level yet. He got priced into really bad seats that he didn't want to sit in because he, he didn't want to pay what he needed mm-hmm. to pay to, to sit where he used to. The twelve game, the twelve day TV selection window, the night games, the expense of of parking. Of course, it, he always takes the the parking ride from Federal Way, which I think they got rid of for one year and then brought back. But 
anyway, and I remember talking to him. He was like, you know, if any one of those things had been the other way, like if all of the annoyances, but Washington is really is they're, they're winning ten games every year, all of the annoyances, but they've got a marquee non-conference game every year, mm-hmm. and they're not just playing cupcakes, all the late kickoffs and whatever, but. Hey, it's 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 still affordable for me to sit in a really good seat and watch a college football game. He would have kept the tickets, um, and and you know I think he's on the the really high end of the spectrum of of people who are interested in Husky football, but people who are on the same end of the spectrum at a lot of these really successful blue blood programs, there would be no factor that would get them to give up their season tickets, right? So I think that's that's sort of the bridge that you're trying to cross because. You bring up all of the, you know, the night games and everything. And I'm totally there with you. Like that apps, like it literally has been a reason I've chosen not to go to a game before when I wasn't doing this job, but people who are swayed by those kind of things are, are not the, the ones who are filling stadiums at, at, in, in the, the schools that actually sell out all the time. And I'm not even saying that like that lacks virtue or that's wrong or, Oh, that makes you like soft fans or whatever. I think the opposite. I just think we live in a different part of the country, and I think you're talking about people who are, are maybe prioritizing different things. I, I agree with you about it, like there being real tangible differences, and that if this was, if Washington had Nebraska's level of success, or Nebraska had Washington's level of success, you're going to see a dramatically different level of loyalty from Nebraska fans than you do from, from Washington fans for the in-person experience. Here's here would be my rebuttal though. Is that if you work at Washington, and if you're part of that athletic department, and you're and you're looking to to build and and create, don't complain about how the fans are. Decide the experience that you want to offer and the kind of fan that you want to engage with, and then do that. Like if if the in-game experience is important. And that's and that's what you want the program to be built around. Advocate for that. Like put your resources into that. Don't pretend that this is something that just happens to you. And well, Washington fans aren't as loyal. Like accept the reality of the situation. And and what I've seen, like your dad's a great example of what are all of the factors that led to the the attrition in season ticket holders. Well, it's that when Scott Woodward and and Steve Sarkeesian were in charge of this. They stopped scheduling. You started getting one B game and two C games in non-conference, and the prices went up. That stunk. When Boise State is the best program that you're playing in a non-conference schedule, that's a crap schedule. Then you also had the, the fluctuation of the schedule. The, the fact that all of a sudden you had six-day windows, and you'd find out you, you couldn't predict. There might be three night games in a year, and you know what? You're not going to know them in, in advance. Like All of these things stacked up that made it harder. And and then it, to, to, to respond to that afterwards and say, well, if we were in a different spot, this would be different. OK, fine. Then you should go work in a different spot like you should go work for a different athletic department. Then all your crazy ideas and everything that you do won't have this tangible. But there is a strong enough fan base for Husky football because I've seen it and I felt it and I've been part of it. And if if that's if that's going to be the, the, the emphasis for you and that that's what it needs to be to work. Then, then prioritize this. Don't sit there and talk about 9 a.m. kickoffs. Like, tell the conference that's a no-go. The conference works for the schools. And, and the, the part that, I, that, that drives me absolutely insane is that they pretend 
that all of these things have just happened to them and like, well, everybody else puts up with it and Florida still sells out. Yeah, maybe they do. Yeah, you know what? Maybe they do. But I've also been here in Washington when Washington sells out and I've seen I've seen the way that it's built. And if you want to replicate that experience, like you have to do some of the same things that you did to build that kind of loyalty. And for me, a large part of it does start with the timing of the schedule. How many of the games are at night? How far in advance? Because I don't think it's that Washington fans don't like night games. I think it's that Washington fans don't like four night games, three of which are in a row, and they find out about six to 12 days ahead of time. Like, I think those are the issues that really become a problem. If you had one or two night games per season and they were set out in advance, but the, but the way the schedule has trickled down stinks. It's absolutely horrible. And that's part of the reason and the cost that they've had. So I don't want to hear like, by the way, are you coming to this game? It's like, yeah, man, I am. I, I am coming to this game because I like it enough that I continue to do it. And I don't appreciate people complaining that are in charge, like making it seem like, well, there's just not enough of you that are willing to undergo the inconvenience. Two things before we get to our picks. It should be noted college football attendance is, is down nationwide. I think it was down 7% last in, you know, Last year, you're coming off COVID. There's vaccine requirements. This year's numbers might be like a more accurate reflection of where it's where it's really at. But it's been it's been trending down, right? Like it was Nick Saban not that long ago, like chastising students for not for for leaving early or whatever when they're up by sixty points on Northwest Southwest State Tech, you know. And and there's I think there have been like a little bit of cracks in the foundation of even some of these teams that that still like do huge numbers attendance wise sell most of their tickets if not selling out you know this it's not just a washington problem it's not just a west coast problem so that that, that does need to be noted like the battle against television and all of the other forces like that's very real everywhere um there there just is a a higher threshold out here i think for okay yeah this game is worth me you know buying the tickets and paying for the parking and dealing with the crowds and and going to it um, the other point completely unrelated as much as we, we, as much as we've, we've managed to talk about Nebraska on this podcast, the last couple of weeks, if Washington wins this game and people don't want to hear this and, and don't want to think about it. And I don't think it would ultimately be an issue, but if Washington wins this game, how quickly are you going to hear Kalen DeBoer's name floated as a, as a Nebraska, a potential uh, Nebraska candidate? <laughs> Dude, I hadn't thought of that. Because I'll, t- I'll tell you, Jake Dickert was already on Bruce Feldman's list of potential candidates after beating Wisconsin last week. So, Oh, well, I'm glad to, I'm glad Dickert's on there. You're talking about another Midwestern guy. Yeah, he's from Wisconsin. Yeah, that's where's DeBoer from? Is he from Illinois? He's from South Dakota. South Dakota. I don't want to think about that yet. I'm, I'm refusing to think about that. That's a bridge that I will happily cross if, the, if they're 3-0. and I, I agree no. to talk about that next week if they're 3-0, Christian. I'm not going to engage in that right now. Can't I'm not trying to start anything. Not trying to start anything. But I just went as soon, as soon as they fired him, I thought, hmm. Isn't that a bad if, job? Uh, I don't think it's a good one anymore. I think – uh, now, you listen. Look at, you look at the coaches they've hired. They've tried to go sort of the Pete Carroll route, right? of go get the guy that didn't succeed in the NFL with Bill Callahan. They've gone the hot new – like when they hired Pelini, Pelini was the, 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 the great hire that would be a fit for that part of the country, right? And we just ended up knowing him for his sweaters and his cat. And then they went and got like the, the hometown hero who had taken Central Florida right up to the cusp of, of a national – well, they won a national championship according to them. 
and it's not worked out. At any, like, that's a fair amount of evidence that it might not be the coach that's the problem there. It's a, it's a good job if your priority is to uh, become a millionaire for life. Yeah. Because they're going to they're gonna overpay whoever they hire, just like everybody does. And they're going to have to guarantee a ton of money in, in buyout dollars. And if they decide in three years that this wasn't the right hire, they're going to end up paying a probably, you know, double, you know, eight, eight, eight figure buyout to whoever they, whoever the guy is. So if like, if your priority is, Hey, I'm going to sign a contract. Who knows if I'll, I'll be here at the end of it, but I'm going to be guaranteed a ton of money one way or the other, then it's a good job. But yeah, I mean, competing in that conference, like we've said against Ohio state and Michigan and, and everybody else, um, and with the expectations that that fan base has and as frustrated as they are, even with the resources, like it is one of the, you know, like we talked about one of those schools where people are going to show up and people are, are always going to be interested in Nebraska football. You've got the built in passion. You can't manufacture that. There's not many schools that have that. It's, it's a good job in, in that sense. But yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't want to concern anybody. I don't, I don't think it would become a legitimate concern. I will say like, Washington is paying Kalen DeVore just a shade over $3 million a year. I think Jen Cohen and, and everybody who was involved in that hiring process signed that contract, like hoping that they would end up paying him a lot more after this season. If you know what I mean? <laughs> like hope that hopefully Washington has the kind of season where they can't get away with paying Kalen DeVore $3.1 million a year anymore that they're, that they're going to have to pay him a lot more to, to keep him happy. And, um, keep him from from becoming a target for some of these other schools so but we're getting ahead of ourselves they got to go be michigan state first to get on the radar and and for any of those conversations to to even start but we do live in such a such an immediate like day-by-day reactionary college football world now that you know i i do think like one win one game one little entry into the national stage can can suddenly put uh his name on a lot of people's radar where it wasn't before have you ever looked at or seen mention of Jimbo Fisher's contract? Yes. Uh, I was listening to um, Dan Wetzel and Pat Forty on their podcast yesterday. And, that, and that's another thing. They're talking about like just the a- absolute, what was it, like a $90 million buyout or something? Well, just to... I think it's fully guaranteed. Yeah. I think his contract is fully guaranteed. And then I don't think there's any buyout for him. Like he can leave whenever he wants. Yeah, it's like the most coach-friendly contract I've of all time. I've never seen anything like it. And were... in his contract, there's a clause in which he basically acknowledges that were he to leave Texas A&M, he understands it would really hurt the university's prestige nationally. Like, it's basically a clause that says, okay, we're not going to put a financial penalty for, for you for you leaving a buyout, but you've got to at least say that you know it'll hurt our feelings. <laughs> <laughs> it's in his contract. That's what insane. What if he refuses? <laughs> what if he's like he's he's so prideful, like he's Mike Leach, like he's so prideful that he won't even apologize to like save himself millions of dollars. We had a good week picking games last week, Danny. We both went three and one. The one loss was a game that we should not have lost. Well, you know, we 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 differed. Yeah, oh, really. Yeah. Well, we we we, we both Stanford, right? Yeah, and I I missed on I I thought the mighty Jed Fishes would would cover the ten and a half against. <laughs> The visiting Mike Leeches. Um, I forgot Pete Carroll's kid is their offensive coordinator, by the way. Down at University of Arizona? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He's a fighting fish. 
That's correct. Uh, both both nailed Washington covering and Washington State covering at Wisconsin. I don't think either of us thought Washington State was going to win that game, though. I would have taken Wisconsin straight up. Yeah. I um, now, if if you told me that Washington State was going to score seventeen points in that game, I I probably would have felt pretty good about a cover because I don't yep. I don't think I would have thought they'd give up thirty five to Wisconsin, but certainly. Did not think there'd be any chance they would win the game with 17 points. So that is a that's a very different way for a Washington State team uh, to win. They Got were, some good matchups again this week. They, so they, I'm going to throw. I do want to point out that my uh, the my approach of hose USC and Stanford or hose USC and UCLA is not being followed at all. Uh, early in that that Stanford USC game, Stanford got smoked, and I, I don't know if they would have ever been able to stop USC. Like it, it didn't it didn't appear at any point they were capable of that. But they got jobbed in the first half on a TD call, like TD call on the field, tight end in the back of the end zone. They review it, and and his toe, his toe is in bounds, and then it appears that his heel might come down and might eventually touch. But that's not even definitive. And then the Yahoo rules analyst comes on and he's like well you have to consider it's one fluid motion so if his heel touches as part of his foot coming down then that's considered out of bounds i'm like what the hell are you talking about like if you put your toe in if your toes up and your heels off the ground when you catch the ball like that's that's touch and even by that criteria it didn't look like there was clear evidence to overturn it and they overturned the touchdown like they compl- they did the complete opposite like we need to hose usc and they were erring in benefit of the trojans it's spoken like somebody who picked Stanford to cover the eight. <laughs> if that if that touchdown counts, it's a whole different game. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna USC I'll, has 19 transfers. Yeah, and Nin- uh, 19 transfers. Nine of them are starting. Just that's just in the two deep. Good, I believe. Good God, Terrell Bynum is one of them. Yeah, I saw that. Okay. And Jacoby Covington. Let's get to this week's games. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw like we've done the last couple weeks. I'm gonna throw three games at you off the top, and then we'll pick Washington. Um, so we are we are going to start with the uh, the two and Cal Bears, the unbeaten Pac-12 flag bearing Cal Bears, led by star linebacker Jackson Sermon, traveling to South Bend, Indiana, to face a beleaguered Notre Dame Fighting Irish team. Uh, I think this line is, has moved a lot, but I've got uh, I've got Notre Dame by eleven here. In the spirit of my father, who attended Cal, I, I'm going Irish here. I think there is something about the 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 underlying anti-authoritarian impulse of Cal and its student body that mitigates against sustained football success. The Bears are two and zero, and they've looked pretty good. And I think I I, I think their 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 hippie underpinnings are going to come to emergence, and they're gonna they're gonna lose to the winless Irish. Notre Dame so, going to cover. So someone asked me. Um, someone asked in a mailbag a couple weeks ago about Cal's chances of, of winning at Notre Dame. And this was before they lost at home to Marshall. And I said, man, I just, I've not seen nearly enough from Cal's offense to think they can go in there and score. Notre Dame only gave up 21 points to Ohio state, which I thought was pretty impressive defensively. And now I'm, I'm kind of thinking the same thing about Notre Dame's offense. Uh, I don't think Cal's going to win this game, but based on what we've seen from Notre Dame, especially last week, I I just don't know that I can I can pick him to cover eleven. I think Cal's going to cover this, so I'm going I'm to go with Cal. The total is forty. Yeah, it's a low very low. Um, so we all right. You've got you've got the Irish. I've got Cal. 
Um, we are going to pick another, or not not another, because Notre Dame is, is not a top 25 team anymore. We're going to pick the maybe the marquee matchup, aside from, from Washington-Michigan State in the Pac-12 this week. Number 12-ranked BYU travels to Oregon, where the Ducks are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going BYU. Really? Yep. That's a tough one. I think I think BYU is pretty good. I think I think they got a couple of receivers banged up. Puka Nakua is banged up. Um, they beat Baylor, man. They I mean, did. Baylor was ranked number nine. Oregon scored like seven thousand points against Eastern Washington, though. That's true. That's true. Eastern We've seen sc- Oregon, though. <laughs> you gonna bet on Bo Nix? <sighs> Three and a half in Autzen. <laughs> you gonna bet on Bo Nix? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if you do. Uh, I'm gonna take BYU also. A <laughs> little bit of wiggle room. Oregon can can break a tie game with a last second field goal and and win this game, and and we both still hit the pick now, with three and a half point spread. So I, I want to let everybody in on like my actual approach here. First of all, like I'm picking BYU because I legitimately want Oregon to lose. I want Oregon to lose every game they play. But this is also a happiness hedge because if Oregon is to win this game and it's in Eugene, I'm going to tell myself that it's good news because that makes it more likely that Bo Nix will remain the starting quarterback, which I think is in Washington's best interest long-term for their matchup with the Ducks. And that's going to hold true going forth, that anytime Oregon wins and Bo Nix is the starter, I am going to come away from it feeling like, well, the good news is that makes it much more likely that Bo Nix will still be under center. That's I can't argue with the logic, I suppose. <laughs> I hope BYU wins. And they Baylor's twenty. They did. Baylor's another one that's like how how good are they? Are they writing last year's ranking, last year's results? God, I just I don't like Baylor on principle. I don't yeah, know I how think... long that's gonna last for, but that's definitely true. I don't like Baylor on principle. That is fair enough. Um Let's pick Fresno State at USC. Ooh. Fresno State reeling after Jack Coletto pulled off a what a what a call by Jonathan Smith, by the way. Yeah. That was I don't know if you watched the end of that one. That would have yeah. been like three AM your time probably, but Ooh, seventy four and a half total in this one. Uh USC's favored by twelve and a half at home. I'm going USC, man. Like that that offense is humming. Like I I think Stanford's better than they looked last weekend. Um but I I don't I don't know if anybody's going to stop the USC's offense right now. Yeah, I'm I'm basically picking USC to cover until further notice, um, for the reasons you said. Not just, I mean Caleb Williams is really really good. Their receivers are really really good. They can run the ball. They look, just looks, you know, it's Rice and it's Stanford and a Stanford team that doesn't look like it's a whole lot better defensively. But uh, it looks for all intents and purposes as if USC has completely flipped the vibe around its program so i'm gonna i'm gonna pick the trojans to cover 12 and a half as well um we don't know about sc's defense though right like we should but and not yet fresno State, state scored 30 or more in both games yes right yeah i nah but i'm not i'm not i'm not picking against usc yeah i think just at i like Jake Hayner, I think yeah. if, you know if there's any G5 quarterback that could go into the Coliseum and make it interesting, it, it's him. Um, but I, yeah, just ha- if if they'd like smacked Oregon State last week, 
you know, if they'd, if they'd won, if they'd won by a couple scores and, you know, kind of took it to them physically, then I'd be like, oh, okay, you know, maybe, maybe they could go into LA and get something done. But, um, it's not like they played poorly. I mean, they literally lost on the last play, but I, I just, I think USC is going to have too much firepower. Um, Washington is favored by three and a half. Give me the dogs. Give me the dogs going heart, not head. Give me the dogs. I will stick with my, my preseason pick of Michigan state by four. I think I said 31 to 27. I haven't seen anything from, from either team to, to make me believe otherwise. I mean, I, I thought Washington would be better offensively. I think they've proven they're better offensively. Michigan state, you know, it's not like they've looked like world beaters in, in the first two weeks. They did win 52 to nothing against an overmatched team last week, which is what good teams are supposed to do. They've got some injury concerns. I don't think by any means this is a game Washington can't win. Um, but I think Michigan state is just, they're a little bit further along right now. Uh, and I have, I have some, some questions about Washington's past defense. I think this is going to be a game where Peyton Thorne, uh, looks a little bit better and, and, um, find some receivers open. And I just think the, the talent at the skill positions at running back included is, is going to be a little bit too much for Washington though. I do think it'll be a, a close game and, a, and an entertaining game. Go dogs. I'm I'm all on board. All heart, no head. All heart, no head on that game. Isn't that every pick though? Because like you want it, you 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 request not to yeah. to know ahead of time. That's true. Yeah, I don't do any of this. Is but I I think my first reaction is usually the best one. Yeah. Well, you went three and one last week. So yeah. Well, who can who can argue? It would have gone four and zero oh if the Pac-12 officials had done what they're supposed to and hose USC. <laughs> all right. I will see you on the. The internet sphere. Danny might see you in the stadium. Actually, I, I realize I've been remiss, Danny. We're supposed to like sign this thing off, telling people where they can find our work. And you've got work like all over the place now. So where, where what's, what, what are you writing this week? What do you got? What do you got going on? I wrote about this Russell Wilson guy that came back and how funny it was that his new coach, who was supposed to believe so much in him, decided he'd rather <laughs> let his kicker try to match the second longest field goal in NFL history than trust his new quarterback to gain five yards. Which I thought was hilarious. They just needed the forty six, Danny. Dude, so the forty six. Like there's not there's not been much that's that's been funnier. I I don't know if I've laughed that hard. Like I generally think <laughs> missed kicks are hilarious. And like that one was next level. Like it was it was phenomenal. Um yeah, I have a Substack newsletter, uh Danny O'Neill Substack. You can you can find it out. It's called the Dang Apostrophe. Uh also a podcast that I recorded this week that has new fancy uh sound effects. Ooh, we don't have those. Yeah, maybe we'll get them very soon, though. I'm up in my Perhaps. production game. <laughs> my production game will remain exactly the same, folks, <laughs> at least this week. Uh, take care, everybody, and, and enjoy the game.